Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this day, and I thank you, Lord, again for your word, Lord, for your truth. I thank you so very much for this parable that you told to your disciples so many years ago. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be very careful as we work through this story. Help us not to miss what you would have us to learn from it. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. There are four characters in this story that I want to point out today. There's four characters that I don't want you to miss. And so I'm going to jump right in. I'm not going to give you any, any preliminary sermon. I'm just going to go right into the story. Uh, uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus has been teaching. He just told two other parables. He's getting ready to tell another parable. If you remember what happened, I just got to at least tell you the, the background. Remember, Jesus was eating and celebrating with the tax collectors and the, oh, the sinners, right? But he was sitting with them and feasting with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees said, what are you doing? And they just did not like that. They were not happy with that. And so Jesus says, I got some parables to tell you. So he starts telling these parables. We had two last week, this one this week. Same context. He says, there was a man who had two sons. Okay, so here's two of our characters mentioned already, right? Character number one, though, that we're going to focus on is the younger son because that's what Jesus focuses on in the first part of the story. So listen to what he does here. I think this is, I mean, just think through what's happening in this story. The younger of the sons, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Give me what's mine. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Now, what would you have heard if you're not familiar with pastors asking you questions and the message? I'm sorry, but get used to it. Um, what, what would you have heard of as the father with this request from your son? What would you have heard? What would you have read between the lines? Well, what are you going to spin it on? <laughs> but, but now wait a minute but give me what is mine there's something that's going to be owed to me let me let me throw it let me tack in another little thing in jewish law jewish custom there was a very clear prescribed way that inheritances were doled out the older son would get two-thirds the younger son would usually get one-third if it was divvied up that particular way but usually an older son would get two-thirds of what was going to be theirs. This was not something that the son was saying, give me what you think is mine. He's saying, give me what is lawfully mine. But come on now, what's between the lines there? You're going to die, and I kind of wish it had already happened because I want what's mine now, right? Very much so. This would have been an extremely unusual thing, not completely unheard of, but very unusual for an inheritance to be doled out before the father had passed. And yet that is exactly what this younger son does. And this father does it. He divides up the property between them. Verse 13. Not many days later. So not a whole lot longer later. The younger son gathered all he had. Cashed it out so to speak. And took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. One commentator says he squandered his wealth in the wildest of extravagance, right? This reckless living is living extravagantly. 
And when he had spent everything, it just so happens, I don't think it just so happened, but when he spent everything, it just so happens that a severe famine also arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So this younger son takes everything, he gets it all in cash somehow, I don't know what, how this whole process happened, but this is what he does, and then he goes out and he lives extravagantly, right? And what happens? He, as many of us know, we all saw this coming, Right? You can't just spend what you got. You got to have income. This is not income. This is just outgo. And he spends everything he's got on extravagant living. And at about the same time, so there's two disasters that strike. One is just his own stupidity of spending everything he had. But then simultaneously, there's a famine that hits the land that he's in. And now he is in desperate need. Verse 15. Now, before I go to verse 15, one of the amazing things about this parable is how often we as humans, in our human, in our human hearts, this parable speaks to us. And you start to feel and be in that position of this prodigal son. In fact, I'm looking out across here, and I'm thinking of myself, and I know that so many of you have verbalized this, but even if I don't know, I'm sure that many of you have recognized this exact way and have found yourself in a time of desperate need. And isn't it amazing how often in those times of desperate need is exactly when, what do we do? Turn to God. Does that not happen? I think this is one of the reasons why this parable speaks so clearly to us. We feel the story. Verse 15, he's in desperate need, so what does he do? He goes and he hires himself out to one of the citizens of that country. This person that hired him sent him into the field to feed the pigs, and if you're a Jew, this is the worst, lowest possible occupation you can imagine. I can imagine even though I'm not a Jew, this would still be a really terrible occupation, right? I don't even like driving past pig farms. I like eating pigs after they've been cleaned and prepared, and they're in the shape of bacon, okay? But uh, this, no, this is not, this would not be a great job in my mind. I would not be, and in fact, he's in such desperate need that whatever payment he is getting He's looking at what he's feeding to the pigs, and what does he says? He longs to be fed with the pods. This is probably like a seed of a particular plant. It, he's longing to be fed with what they, like he's feeding these pigs, and he's looking at what they're getting. It's better than what he's getting. That's his situation. He longed to eat what the, pot, the pigs ate, and no one, there wasn't anybody that was having mercy, grace, compassion on him to give him a helping hand. And again, some of you go, in your minds, you remember a time in your life where you're like, man, that is, I remember being in that. Let's just call it what it is, the pigsty of life, right? The pigsty of life. And there's a wonderful verse that comes next in fact, what an ir- irony that Simone just walked in because I know that this is one of Simone's favorite verses. Luke chapter 15, verse 
verse 17, the first part, but when he came to himself. I know that's one of her favorites. It literally means, now some versions translate it, uh, he came to his senses, but it literally is, literally, he came to himself. And some of you, again, you know exactly what this is like. You, in fact, you've probably been in the pigsty of life at some point and came to yourself. You ever have that, that moment of realization, like, where am I at? What, how did I get here? How did I get here? This is where this guy is at. Can you feel it? You know, I love, I love, love, love the way Jesus tells parables, the way he tells stories. But this, again, I, I can't help but understand why so many commentators said this is one of the most beloved of all of his parables because it talks about us. And we hear it and we see and we love it because of what happens next. He comes to himself and he pulls himself up by his bootstraps. No. His situation is desperate. There is nothing he can do. The best that he can do is be envious of pigs. That's the best he can do for himself. He comes to himself and he says, you ever talk to yourself? <laughs> you know, self. I'm sure there's some conversation before this. Self, what have you done? How have you gotten yourself into this? I wonder how many times he even talked with the pigs. You, you got it better than I do, you stupid pig. Look at me. Pig snorted back and he felt like the pig was saying, yeah, you're a pathetic mess. And you were sitting there going, man. You come to yourself and then you start telling yourself, you start planning. And you start telling yourself what to do. Instead of just listening to yourself, you start telling yourself what to do. Like, listen. So he says to himself, he came to himself, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. So he's, the, he's really thinking about it. Like, my, my father's servants, they had some good bread. I remember when we baked it. It was delicious. It smelled wonderful. Those servants, I'm... I'm looking at what pigs get, and I'm envious of that, but my, my, my dad's servants ate better than what I'm getting as a servant to this guy. And so again, he continues speaking to himself, and he says, this is what I'm going to do. He comes up with a plan. I'm going to rise. I'm going to go to my father, and I will say to him, and have, have you worked out the conversation you're going to have with people in advance? I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to say. Okay, I'm going to say, say, I wonder if he practiced it on the way back. Father. And you know, he's so spot on with what he's saying. Father, I have sinned. He recognizes his own sinfulness. I have sinned. And he knows that even though he sinned against his father, he sinned against ultimately against God. And he references that by saying, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I think of King David who had committed adultery, had formulated and orchestrated the murder of an individual, still in his prayer to God of repentance, he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, he sinned against a whole lot of people, but he recognized that ultimately this is high treason against the God who made me, and that's what this guy has done. I wonder if he thought of 
King David's words, even though this is a fictional character. Ah, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm not going to demand any rights, anything that's mine. I'm not going to expect anything. In fact, all I want in this final sentence, and I want these words, just keep these words in your head. It's going to be important in just a minute. Treat me as one of your hired servants because he knows that's better than what he's getting now. If I could just have that, I would be happy. And so not only does he say it, he does it. Verse 20, and so he does it. He came up with a plan, I'm going to do it, rise, go to my father, and he does it. And he rise, rose, rises up, goes to his father, leaves the pigs, goes to his father. This ends, not completely, but this ends the focus of the story of the younger son. Jesus' story is now going to shift to character number two. And character number two is the father. Jesus, remember, is telling this story because he wants the scribes and the Pharisees to understand something about God. And in doing so, understand something about how they ought to be. And so you can hear God, the Father, in this story. He goes to his father and listens so very carefully to what happens next. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Think about what's happening here. He's looking, isn't he? And he sees that son a long way off. I mean, this is against all protocol in their culture for a father to act like this. You saw an extravagant son living extravagantly in a sinful way. I believe we're seeing a very extravagant father. Can you see him? And those of you that have been in the pigsty of life and you've glanced up and just hoped that God might have compassion on you, it's stories like this that gave you hope that God would. He sees from a long way off. He sees him. He feels compassion. I imagine him watching that son walking down the road probably looking pretty terrible. Right? And he doesn't run out and go, ah, look what you did. Does he? Compassion. And he runs. Breaking protocol embraces him. It literally means to fall upon his neck and kiss him. And I imagine that embracing and on the neck. And if you've ever embraced somebody like that, your face is, isn't your face like right there? That's what this father does. Embraces, kisses him. And the son said to him, remember he had a speech ready. Do you remember the speech? Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer, to be wor- no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't get to finish the speech. There was one more part, wasn't there? What was the last part he was going to say? 
Treat me as a what? Servant. The father hears and stops him right there. The father says to his servants, can you picture him? The son, father, I've sinned against heaven, against earth, and I just, if I could... Edit. Servants! Right? Can you see him stopping the son right, right there? Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's eat and celebrate. It's time to feast. This, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost to me and now is found. And they began to celebrate. This is God, our Father. This is the character of God that the Pharisees and the scribes ought to know. This is the God who they have known from the beginning. This is the God of the, un, of the Old Testament, the unchangeable God. Consider for a moment this story from the Old Testament. Let's go all the way back to Exodus. When God first reveals his name, he reveals it to Moses. Moses is chosen, and led the, chosen to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. While God is leading them out and they're on their way to the promised land, he lays down law for them. Quite frankly, they're not just a big family. They're a nation at this point. They need law, right? Law is necessary for a nation. And the top ten laws are the most important. He's going to give them these ten commandments. You've probably heard of them. You heard of the ten commandments? You heard of those? Yeah. Have you ever thought about how the ten commandments are so important for a nation? They seem to many like, well, those aren't the most important for the nation. I think that they are. When God is giving the Ten Commandments, Moses asks to see God. So in the middle of all this, Moses goes, um, I always picture him asking this way. This is awesome. This is great. Could I just see you? <laughs> right? Can I just, I mean, I'm, you've done some amazing work. I love what you did with the Egyptians. The, the parting of the Red Sea, fabulous. I, I just want to see you. Can I see you? God doesn't say no. He says something weird. He says, you can't look directly at me. It'll kill you. You'd die. But you can see my backside. A glimpse of my glory. This event begins to unfold where God the Father is going to reveal himself to Moses. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. This is Exodus 34, verse 5. And then he does something. He proclaims his name. And so God, being the God of the word and a God of word, doesn't just say, let me give you a glimpse. i got to tell you something about myself while I do this, or you will not understand glory. And so he gives him a glimpse by the way, in your Bibles, when you see Lord in all caps, that's Yahweh, the name of God. Proclaim the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Listen very carefully to verses 6 and the first part of verse 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. See, these Pharisees should have known this is how God was. 
the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, that's grace for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. For those that have their Bibles open, you may have noticed I didn't finish verse 7. That's going to be very important in a few minutes. And we'll come back to that. I haven't forgotten it. We have the younger son, everything lost through extravagant living. We have the father bringing him back through extravagant forgiving. Now let's turn our attention to the older son. His older son... Do you feel the sour note come in here? The older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. They've got to be doing some serious dancing if you could hear the dancing too, by the way. I mean, they hear the music one thing, but hear the dancing. They're like, man, what, what kind of dancing were they doing? I imagine the, you know, doing the snapping and stomping and all kind of, what, man, what kind of? Crazy party was this. And he called one of the servants. Hey, come here, come here. What, what, what's, what is these things? What's going on? What's this mean? Did I not get the memo? What, what party? The servant says to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. The servant gets it. This is glorious. And they're all celebrating. Your brother is back. Here's now one of the key reasons why Jesus is telling this story. It's for the Pharisees and the scribes. He's painting a beautiful picture for them to see themselves in. I think of Jesus' own younger brother who wrote a letter and he talked about the word can have that effect like a mirror. But the Pharisees and the scribes were angry and they don't see themselves in that brother. The Pharisees and scribes are angry at the compassion shown to the tax collectors and the sinners when they had repented, which is a key, key piece of all of this story. But the story isn't over yet. How does the brother respond? He's angry, and he refuses to go in. Who was on the outs in this family previously? The younger son? Who's on the outs now? You can tell me. The older son refuses to go in because of his anger. He's angry and refused to go in, but his father, this father that has shown extravagant forgiving, has seen his other son in a distance run to greet him. This same father at this moment doesn't just stay inside and say, well, let him sit out there. What does he do again? Don't you love this dad? Our father God that is being portrayed, who also goes out to this son to, what does it say, to entreat. He's coming out to plead with him. 
He'd already gone out to one son. He now goes out to plead with the other. Leon Morris, one of my commentators, said that what he's going to be met with is a torrent of words of pent-up feelings of years are going to come tumbling out. Are you ready for it? Before he gets a word out, he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. That word translated served could also be translated slaved. These many years I've slaved for, I've been slaving for you for years. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat. That would have been even cheaper, Dad. That's not even a calf. That I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he can't even call him his brother. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property? Don't you remember, Dad, what he did? He devoured your property with prostitutes. But when he comes back, you kill the fattened calf? Not my brother, this son of yours. Come on, Dad. The dad responds and said to him, Son, you are always with me. And quite literally, all that is mine is yours. That's not... The father hasn't missed that key point, right? If there's two sons and he's divvied it up, isn't everything that's left... But let's just ask the question, whose calf just got slaughtered? In the older son's mind, whose calf just got slaughtered? His. I mean, he's, he's like, you never gave me a goat. Well, he's got everything. He's got the calf. And then the dad says next, it was fitting. And, and one of my commentaries said that this does not do justice to the word that's translated here when it says it was fitting. This word, it was fitting, it could better be translated. Am I not on the right page? No. Thank you. It was fitting, could better be translated as it was necessary to celebrate and be glad. The welcome of the younger son was not simply a good thing which might or might not have occurred. It was the right thing. The father had to do it. Joy was the only proper reaction in such a situation is what the father is saying. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. This is the only right good response in God's economy and notice he does not speak of my son but what does he say your brother he's not going to let him forget that piece of information the older boy might try to overlook the relationship but it was still there the father will not let him forget it and he repeats finishes by repeating this wonderful thing that's happened he was dead now alive, he was lost, is found. Now you may be thinking, Matt, at the beginning you said there was four characters. Do you remember that? Younger son, older son, father. Who's the fourth character? 
to introduce him, I will need to go back to the Father for just a moment. Do you remember that passage in Exodus I read to you a moment ago? I left off part of a verse, did I not? You remember that little part of a verse I left off? I put it in yellow for you. Lord, passed before him, Moses proclaimed the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But, but, God, our Father, is not just a Father. He's also a judge of the universe. And he's a righteous judge and a good judge, a judge that does not according to this, who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is a just judge and bound up into God's character that he revealed about himself is a dilemma. How can you be Father, God, that forgives and loves and restores back and still be just. Those Pharisees, those scribes were not entirely off in their thinking. Wait a minute. This guy did something. They, They have walked away from God. How is that just? The fourth character is... What I'm going to deem as, and I think I stole this from a better theologian than myself, but I couldn't remember who. The fourth character is what I'm going to refer to as the true older brother. This older brother comes up short, but there's an older brother that is very important for the story to be. See, this parable, if you, if you press this parable too much, there's a problem. This parable demands another brother to repair this problem. 700 years before Jesus came into the world, there was a prophet who spoke about this exact problem and referenced the true older brother. Listen to this passage, Isaiah 53. 700 years before Jesus came, 700 years. You're going to hear it and you're going to go, man, that sounds just like Jesus. But it was written 700 years before he was here. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He came as just a regular human being. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. In other words, he would have looked like the younger brother in the pigsty. But as we know of Jesus, he took that upon himself. It says this in the next verse. Surely he has borne whose griefs? Our griefs. He has carried whose sorrows? Our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by who? God, the Father, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him 
the chastisement, that piece of celebration at that feast. There's still a justice issue, but it meets in Jesus who takes the righteous judgment for your sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds, you are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord God has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, Jesus, my servant, make many to be accounted, credited as righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Here's the thing about this whole story. God the Father is not just soft, old softy dad. Justice needs to be met, and it was met in Jesus. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Surely, I think the psalmist in Psalm 8510 speaks to this when he says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace, kiss each other. That happened in Jesus. Justice. And mercy meet. In the New Testament, after Christ had been here, Paul the Apostle speaks to this. And he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ, in case you're wondering, who was that prophet Isaiah was talking about? We go, I was just told it was Jesus, but in case you're wondering, was that Matt that made that up? No, this is Paul the Apostle. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. These things, God said, I'm, I've got a solution to this. One is going to come, and then he did, and now we're talking about it. And then we read in Romans 8 to bring it back to our story. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. When you came running back to your father, he didn't let you finish the sentence and say, just treat me as a slave. He said, no, 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 no. Kill the fatted calf. We're having a feast. Your son now. What's different is that you weren't originally a son. 
You have been adopted in, and that adoption has been made possible by Jesus Christ. And so you don't receive the spirit of slavery just to be a slave to God, to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. And for those of you that have heard this before, you know this. Abba is like, what, daddy? Abba, father. In a world that does not have good dads very often anymore, there is one good and great dad that made it possible for you to be in his family, but not whimsically, righteously. Your crimes, because you demanded all that you had, give me everything that comes to me, and you rejected God in your life, when you finally came to yourself and came running back, and I'm telling you right now, if you're sitting here going, I don't know if I've come to myself yet. Well, then t- let's do that today, can we? Wake up. Come to yourself. God the Father is standing and waiting, but he's not going to expect you to get it all cleaned up first. If you're thinking, okay, for me to come back to God, I got I gotta, I gotta, this thing, I've been messing up with this, I've been messing up with this, I've been messing up with this, I've been messing no. You know what the word gospel means? Some of you don't. Say it. Good news. That is good news, is it not? The God of the Bible, our Father God, is unlike any other God in this world that demands that you do. This God simply says, I'll take care of all that. Come back. Leave the pigsty. I guess you could say that's demand. But what a wonderful demand it is. Leave the pigsty. Leave it. Come. Come back. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs, with Christ, our great, good, magnificent, glorious, older brother. Who instead of standing in the field and saying, hey, I did everything I was supposed to do. That's not my problem. Not my circus, not my monkeys, hey, right? He says, I will go. I will pay the penalty so that all the inheritance that is coming to me will also be theirs. I hope that you know these two things if you identify with the prodigal. Number one, if you identify with that prodigal and you have come to a point of repentance and come back to the Father, you are in the family of God. Loved, accepted, approved, greeted, rejoiced over, celebrated, adopted for all of eternity. Not because our Father God is a softy but because of the great price paid by our true older brother, Jesus. So come to yourself and come to the Father. Number two, the outward representation of this acceptance, love, approval, being greeted by God, rejoiced over by the Father, adopted into his family for all of eternity, is demonstrated in the wonderful gift that God also gives us, which we call repentance, the leaving of the pigsty. 
One of the saddest realities is how many of us have this option laid out and would choose the pigsty over the fatted calf. I want to encourage you today. I don't know where you're at in this whole process or what you're doing, anything. I don't care if you've been at church here for your whole life or if you just started coming. I don't care if this is your first time ever. It doesn't make a lick of difference to me. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we serve. We serve the God, the Father God, that is graciously waiting. He's standing at the door. He's ready to embrace you and kiss you and pull you in and love you. Unlike any, every earthly father falls short. Unlike this Father God. But we also have a great, magnificent and glorious older brother who knew that for this inheritance to truly be shared, I've got to pay the price. And our older brother does not stand in the field and pout. He comes into this world. He goes to the pigsty. He takes the filth of it upon himself so that you might be accepted in. We're going to celebrate now, not with a fatted calf. That would be awesome. I mean, that's, why, why didn't Jesus do that for the, the communion? Fatted calf for communion. Great. But he did something I think that is better. He, he took a part of a bigger feast and he pinpointed two elements, the bread and the cup. The bread that gets broken to help us remember Jesus' body broken for us on the cross. He, he brings out the cup so that we can think about his blood being shed for us on the cross. Those things are there for us to remember all that he did. But I think that this, in fact, I, I don't mind at all that we're taking little tiny pieces of bread and a little tiny sip of this juice because what it ought to do in us and our remembrance of what he's done, it ought to be, we ought to be thinking about the great feast that is waiting for us in eternity. Right? And if nothing else, I think we ought to be going, man, I'm a complete idiot. But my future is incredibly bright. And anybody can get in on this. Any, anybody can. Because you're not in this because you were the good brother that did everything he was supposed to do. In fact, if you're sitting here today and you're like, if you ever think that about yourself over and above other people that come to church, you go, well, I'm not like them. I, I've, I've done all the things I was supposed to do. If you're ever identifying with that, then you need to repent because you're standing on the outside still. And you need a true older brother to rescue you as well. And your sin might even be more heinous than the sins that you have deemed as the most heinous of sins. Does that make sense? Because in the scheme of things, this older brother is going to miss out. You do not want to miss out. I'm going to pray for this bread and this cup. I think I've got some guys that can come up and uh, distribute these things. I want to ask them to do that. I don't know who's assigned. Have them come up. I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to have them hand it out. When, that, when it comes around, we've got those, our little double cups, right? It's pitiful in comparison to the feast that is waiting for us. But I want you to pull that out. I want you to look at that bread and look at that cup and... Take a moment, and if you have never done so until today, let today be the day that you say, 
Today, Lord, let me come running back to you. I don't deserve any of this. If you've come back and you'd like to visit the pigsty occasionally, repent of that as well. It's not worth it. He saved you from that. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this bread and this cup. Lord, I thank you for all that it represents to us. Lord, I know it just is there as a reminder. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to forget our great older brother, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, experienced the pigsty, and took the filth of the pigsty upon himself for us. Help us to never, ever forget the good thing that you've done. I pray this in your name.